Hello, dear listener. I'm back. Did you miss me? Because I certainly missed you. And hopefully this time I'll stick around. But who knows? I've said that before and disappeared for years. So at least for now, we're here to continue the story of what really happened at Diatlov Pass. But I'm not going to talk your ear off. We're going to get right into the penultimate episode of My Grandfather Knew What Happened in the Dyatlov Pass Incident. I translated his diary by Drunken Swordsman in No Sleep on Reddit. December 29th, 1958. I was trapped in my cell for five days. Hunger and cold took their toll on me. I would have died of dehydration, but there was a small, filthy toilet in the corner of my room. After a day, my thirst overcame my revulsion and I drank from it greedily. The water only lasted two days and thirst quickly added itself to my list of tormentors. The light went out after several hours, as whatever happened to the base above destroyed the generators, plunging me into darkness. I was almost relieved, unable to see the dried red stain around the door. I was starving and freezing, but my real enemy was my own mind. I could still hear the carnage outside echoing in my mind. The inhuman screaming, the desperate gunfire, the sounds of a whole military base unable to stop whatever had come out of that cave. When I heard the sound in the corridor outside, I thought that I had to be hallucinating. I hadn't heard anything but my own voice for days. I rolled over on the ground and ignored it. But then it came again. Footsteps. Slow, wary, echoing down the abandoned hall. They were getting closer, heading right for my cell. I leapt to my feet, swaying as my head swam. There was nothing in my cell I could use as a weapon. I bared my fists, turning in the dark to where I thought the door was. Something grabbed hold of the heavy iron bar locking it, and it scraped loudly as it was drawn up. The door crashed open. A blinding light shone into my eyes. I cringed backwards, my illusions of putting up a fight gone in a rush of terror. I shrank backwards, raising my arms to protect my eyes. Mikhail, Mikhail, stay calm, it's me. It was Yuri's voice. The light swung downwards and I squinted at its source. Yuri stood in the cell door, one hand gripping a battery-powered light, the other holding a pistol. Yuri? What... What are you doing here? I thought... Everyone was dead. I slurred. Not everyone. I'm sorry it took me so long, Mikhail. I didn't know you were in the cell. I thought you died like almost everyone else. Sergei, the bastard, only told us yesterday that you were locked up when it happened. Water, I mumbled, the edges of my vision darkening. I fell to one knee. Yuri rushed over, pulling a canteen from his belt. Here, drink. There's more up above. I grabbed the canteen and tore it open, wolfing down the water inside. I wanted to thank Yuri, to ask him a thousand questions, but my body didn't allow it. Darkness folded in around me, and I felt myself falling. That was two days ago. When I awoke, I found myself in a mess hall on level one. The survivors of whatever happened on level 5, some 50 soldiers in total, have holed up here. We have fires, food, and water. When I recovered, I immediately asked Yuri about what had happened to the base. We don't even know, he answered, a flash of fear crossing his face. One moment everything was normal, the next, people were screaming, Mikhail. Then they dropped, blood at the mouth, and someone else would start. We tried killing whoever it took, but it would always jump to someone else. What? How is that possible? I don't know, Mikhail. It shouldn't be. And yet, out of the 500 men on this base, 
There's only 50 alive now, and we only survived because we hid. Whatever took those men, it seems that if it can't see you, you're safe, or at least safer. What happened when, when everyone in sight was dead? Yuri sighed. The last four men to be taken by, it, them, they never stopped screaming. They ran into the wastes outside. We haven't seen them since. We sat in silence for a while. What happened to Sergei? I asked finally. Yuri smiled, a flash of his old attitude warming his face for a second. He has been relieved of command, you could say. When it was all over, he appeared unharmed and tried to make us follow the screaming men out into the dark. We wouldn't have it. He shot old Lebedev before we could restrain him. Where is he now? In the other mess hall on this level. He hasn't answered any questions about what the hell happened and stays silent most of the time. Come along, I'll take you to him. We picked our way through the men lying and sitting around our makeshift shelter. Everyone was quiet, the loudest voice a whisper. Even though these men had survived the horrors from level five, something had died within them. Sergei lay in the corner of the second mess hall, his hands and legs bound. When we approached, he smiled mirthlessly. Private Sidorov, it seems Yuri's hope of rescuing you was not as foolish as I thought. You're lucky to be alive. As are you, Commander, I retorted, barely keeping my anger at bay. Care to tell us what the hell is happening? Those are state secrets, Private. I can't tell you anything. Yuri snorted. You've already failed the Union, Sergei. Whatever we were here to guard, it's escaped. Best you tell us what it was, and maybe we can salvage something from the situation. The former commander looked at Yuri dolefully. I did what was in my power to guarantee the safety of this facility. There was nothing more I could have done. Yuri swore savagely and spat at the ground at Sergei's feet before turning around and stalking off. I followed after him. What's your next move, Yuri? I asked once I caught up to him. We have to do something. We have to get to army command to warn them. This whole area needs to get locked down as soon as possible. Come outside with me, Mikhail. I followed my friend, confused as to what he intended by this. As we walked through the abandoned base and out into the freezing night, I realized what he wished for me to witness. From somewhere out in the dark, the faint sound of men screaming carried to my ears. They're still out there, Mikhail. Somewhere. We sent out patrols trying to find them. They either return with no information, or they don't return at all. So, what does that mean for us? We don't know where they are. We don't have the gear to take the trek to reach civilization. For all purposes, we're trapped here. January 2nd, 1959. We have remained camped in the remainder of level one. Sergei still hasn't talked. Three men didn't return from patrol today. January 7th, 1959. Five more men have gone missing on patrol since my last entry. Food and water are still in supply, but we're running out of cigarettes. January 12th, 1959. Seven more men are dead. Sergei remains silent. There has been talk amongst the survivors of executing him. January 19th, 1959. There's little reason for me to continue this diary other than keeping track of our losses. Twelve more men have been lost to the Screaming Ones. Sergei hasn't spoken in three days. No more cigarettes. January 25th, 1959. Today the Screaming came closer to our base than ever before. 
all the way to the ruined entry gate. We lay low, gripping rifles in terror, mumbling prayers and curses. Thank God it passed after half an hour, moving somewhere down the mountain. Four men went to follow it, swearing to kill the screaming men from a range. They haven't returned. January 28th, 1959. Today, Sergei finally talked. We haven't fed him in days and only gave him small amounts of water. Finally, he cracked and agreed to talk to us. He never pleaded, never begged. He is still Sergei, angry, prideful, utilitarian. But now, we know a bit about what we're dealing with here. We never opened the cave, not once in five years, he told us through parched lips. The best scanning equipment in all the Union was used to give us some idea what was happening on the other side of the rockfall. Our best guess was the four trapped men were just standing there for five years, standing there, screaming. And no one ever tried to open the cave, a soldier growled. Would you have? We didn't know what was in there. What was in those soldiers? We still don't, even now. And how did they get outside, I demanded. The cave is still sealed. How could they escape? Your guess is as good as mine, Brevet Sidorov. Sergei smiled, his head lolling. Maybe they were gathering strength. Maybe they were biding their time. Maybe given five years of doing nothing, they could pass through the rock with the same ease they passed through flesh. Whatever happened to the men in this base, it only happened to those in a direct line of sight from the screaming ones, said Yuri. Whatever way it moved outside the cave, it doesn't seem it can do it again. That's how we all survived, after all. Sergei grinned at Yuri. By hiding like cowards. Yuri lashed out, fast as a snake. Sergei's head snapped back and blood spouted from his burst lip. Despite everything, he kept on grinning. And what do you plan to do now, Private Ivanovic? Our only chance was to follow and kill those things, and instead you turned on me. The soldiers around him started to disperse with mutters of disgust. It was clear we would get no more from our former commander. Grudgingly, I gave him a canteen of water. It seems we will all die here. Either the screaming ones find us, or we die out there in the snow one by one. If anyone finds this diary, God be with you, for he has abandoned us. January 30th, 1959. Five more men down. We are now only 14. Yuri, thankfully, among them. Sergei still lives and has been moved to our mess hall to be better guarded. February 1st, 1959. May God have mercy on my soul. Today's events will haunt me till the day I die. It was approaching nightfall when a patrol, the last two men brave enough to volunteer to search the mountain, ran into our shelter. The sentries leapt up, rifles raised, expecting trouble. There's people! People on the mountain! One of the scouts yelled. I sprang to my feet and ran over to them, Yuri close behind me. Who? Where? I demanded. On the slope! We counted nine! They're setting up camp as we speak! The remaining soldiers gathered around the patrol. Are they military? Yuri asked. Could they have radios? Can we contact command? No. They're civilians. Hiking expedition, it seems, the patrolman answered. A dejected quiet fell on the room. Our hopes, so quickly raised, were crushed just as fast. A single voice broke the silence. Sergei's. Bait. We looked over at him, confused. What are you talking about, you son of a bitch? Asked one of the survivors. What do you mean, bait? Those people on the mountain, the things and the screaming men don't know we're here, and so they haven't come for us. But they will see those hikers. 
they will come for them. And that gives us an advantage. We know what they're going to do. Yuri walked over to the bound commander. What are you proposing? Even if they get to the hikers, we can't kill them without exposing ourselves. You're sitting on a military base's worth of weapons and explosives, Ivanovic. Outside, there's a mountain covered in snow. We get out there, we prime the slope with explosives, we hide and wait. When the things come for the hikers, we wait till they're screaming, and then we drop the slope on them. If the avalanche doesn't kill them, we will finish them off before they know what hit them. Yuri was quiet for a second. Suppose we did all this, he said at last. Suppose we managed to cause an avalanche, let the things survive. How do we know we'll be able to kill them? We tried and failed when they broke free. It's either this, or you stay here and die slowly, one by one. Your choice. There was a second of silence, then Yuri nodded. If we are to go down, we go down fighting. Around him, the survivors were rising to their feet and muttering in agreement. A fire in their eyes that had been extinguished for a month had been rekindled. They had intent. They had hope. One more thing, added Sergei, lifting his bound hands. Free me. Yuri hesitated for a second. Then he stepped forward, drew his knife, and cut Sergei's bonds. A page is left empty. Everything happened quickly after that. We gathered explosives from the armory, grenades and demolition charges, and stalked out into the night. The hikers had pitched their tent under the mountain. A dull glow came from inside, the light of a lamp illuminating it from within. The scream still came, faint on the air. Maybe the campers didn't hear them. Maybe they mistook them for the howling of the wind. Whatever it was, they stayed inside their tent. Our small group crept along the mountain above, anxious in the dark. Every movement in the black night was full of terror. It took us only a few minutes to plant the explosives on the slopes above the tent. Having prepared our trap, we stalked away, taking cover in a tree line about a kilometer away from the camp. And then we waited. For several hours, we sat in the cold, freezing and terrified. Sergei held the detonator, having assumed command by force of his expertise and some residual authority. It seemed like an eternity of waiting, but then it finally came, the moment we'd been dreading. The screams on the wind got closer and louder, approaching the tent. We saw the things coming, four specks of black on the white snow, running down the mountain towards the hikers. There was a commotion in the tent, shadows moving inside in panic. As one, the voices on the wind went silent. The running bodies fell limp into the snow, and four fresh screams arose from the camp. You've just heard episode three of My Grandfather Knew What Happened in the Dyatlov Pass Incident. I translated his diary. Intro and outro music, as always, provided by Modem. Ambient story music is provided by Thomas Prislak Jr. And, of course, I am your narrator, Ryan Schremp. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and review and all that good stuff to help us grow. And uh, who knows, maybe I'll just keep making new episodes. Uh, I can tell you that part four and the final episode 
has already been recorded. So no more waiting two years for the conclusion of this, of a story this time around. Anyway, thank you so much, my dear listener, for listening to this podcast. Your support means the absolute world to me. And I enjoy making these episodes for you. Uh, Tune in next time for the exciting conclusion of My Grandfather Knew What Happened in the Diablo Pass Incident. I translated his diary. Oh yeah, and sleep tight. Thank you.